Hello, my friends. Welcome. My name is Joe. This is The Joe Martino Show. If this is your first episode or you are a repeat uh, listener, welcome, welcome, welcome. I have an exciting news today. I am announcing my bid for political office in 2021 on this episode today. No, I'm not, but I am sort of. And we're going to talk about what happens if your therapist is a Trump supporter. What do we do to grow conversation? I want you to be the miracle grow for conversations, even with people you disagree with. Let's kick it off. You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan, specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. All right, let's get on with this show, shall we? Uh, I want to talk to you about how we talk, if that's okay with you. One of the things that this lockdown has done is it has put how we communicate in times of stress under a microscope. It has it has just brought to the surface so many different ways that we talk to each other that is not helpful. And I've talked about this a little bit in the past, you know, for, for actually still going on for a long time now. The argument, anytime somebody says anything, uh, the argument comes back, oh, you just want people to die? How much is grandma's life worth? That type of stuff. And to me, that's so over the top and so obviously not good communication. But I feel like the guy on the, uh, you know, TV ads, but wait, there's more. Now we have the, and, and this has been around for a while too. Well, Anne Frank stayed in a, in a, you know, in a ceiling for 45 minutes or 45 days, you know, hiding from the Nazis, just getting food once a day, peeing in a bucket, blah, blah, blah. Anne Frank's situation was horrific, but that's a terrible means of communication. And what it does is it, it cuts down conversation. The it sa- If it saves one life, it's worth it. That isn't an argument. That's a conversation killer. And we don't want to be people that utilize conversation killers. And I would hope that we want to be people that utilize conversation growers. That is, we want to use words that cultivate the conversation, that grow the conversation, that bring the conversation to a deeper level. Because I, I have serious questions for people who are like, well, if it saves one life, uh, one of my friends on Facebook pointed out to me that we actually had far less deaths during the month of March than we have in years. Car deaths are down because there isn't that many people on the road, and the ones that are on the road are just doing like essential driving. So if it just saves one life, why don't we just stay on lockdown permanently? If it saves one life, wouldn't it be worth it? In fact, I'm going to run for office. I want you to know right now that I am declaring for the 2021 election. Whoever seat is up, I'm going to go for it. And I'm going to run on this campaign that we should reduce all speed limits to 20 miles an hour across the country. Every speed limit, whether it's a highway, a back road, whatever it is, it should not exceed 20 miles per hour. Because if it saves one life, isn't it worth it? If it just saves one life, why is your having to get somewhere quickly more important than grandma's life? Because we have data that is far more accurate than this COVID-19 data has proven to be, 
that says all accidents under 20 miles an hour, most of them are not fatal. The numbers are incredibly high. And the further up you go from 20 miles an hour, the more likely the accident is to be fatal. Isn't grandpa's life worth it? Do you just want people to die? Me saying that to you ought to upset you a little bit because we're not engaging in conversations that are fruitful. We're not engaging in conversations that are helpful. We're not engaging in conversations that are actually meaningful and developmental to society. And we're doing it from some false moral high ground that stinks to high heaven of Kalmanor. According to uh, the Detroit News, car deaths were down 60% in March this year in Michigan. That's good news, right? 60%. We, we saved hundreds of thousands of people. So let's just keep this. If, it's, if it just saves one life, it's worth it. Let's just keep that going. Now, you might be thinking, Joe, this is supposed to be a podcast about emotions and all the things that make us human. And it is because our humanity is reflected in how we talk about tragedy, how we talk about risk. We're trying to legislate risk and conflict out of our lives. Uh, I had a client ask me this week, are you a Trump supporter? And so I said to him, well, I don't know. What does that mean? And he said, well, I think there's a difference between being Republican and being a Trump supporter. I'm like, okay, but what does it mean? Well, I don't know if I could go to a counselor that's a Trump supporter. And there's going to be people probably listening to this podcast who would applaud him. And then there's going to be people listening to this podcast who would just be shocked by that. And that would be the only type of counselor they would go to. But what does it matter? So I said, well, I have a friend that's a surgeon. Uh, He repairs knees and joints. Would you, and, and he's a Trump supporter, Would you not let him do the surgery? He's very good. Would you not let him do the surgery? Well, no, I would. And see, the problem is we've moved from can a person help me to they have to agree with me 100%. That's why we kill conversation. We just shut it down with, well, isn't one life worth it? So I'm going to run for office. Maybe that'll be my slogan. If it saves one life, it's worth it. Because then how could anybody debate me? How could anybody question me? How could anybody... Uh, go against me. Because if it saves one life, it's worth it. Let me ask you a question. Let's go the other way. If it costs one life, is it not worth it? And, and my friend on Facebook who pointed out that deaths were done, I think we probably actually agree more than we disagree. But, you know, Facebook and written communication, words only can be a little difficult. Uh, one of the things that he said was, overall, the lockdown appears, in his opinion, appears to have been a good decision. I'm not saying what I think about the lockdown because that's not the point of this episode. And I responded to him, I'm less concerned about whether or not we think it was good or bad, but more about how we respond to it. But my question does become, how many people have to die from lockdown, from actually being locked down? And there are going to be some people who are, they're like, well, they didn't die from lockdown. They committed suicide. Lord, I pray that that person never struggles with depression. Lord, I pray that that person who says that incredibly insensitively stupid thing never has a loved one share, uh, suffer from depression and anxiety. I pray that that person's never caught in a relationship with, a, with an abuser or an alcoholic or a drug addict. Now, am I, in here, am I encouraging conversation there? Well, I'm talking to God, so uh, that's a little bit different conversation, right? That's a prayer 
Hopefully I didn't just offend anybody that my religious support base there. We have to change how we talk about things that are dangerous. Are we really trying to legislate all risk out of our lives? I believe we are. My son got a new bike last week and he's riding around our driveway. And my very first thought was, oh no, he doesn't have a helmet. Now, I I rode my entire life growing up without a helmet. I broke my leg on my bike. I hit a rock, broke my leg in a brand new pair of jeans. I was in sixth grade. But I I felt anxiety for a second until I I talked to myself. And this is a big thing to me. Uh, I talked a lot about people, uh, to a lot of people about it. It's it's all through my next book, which is, I hope, coming out the end of this year. Uh, If you haven't read The Emotionally Secure Couple yet, I would encourage you to pick it up wherever books are sold. But I had to talk to myself and talk myself through it. And he probably doesn't really need to have a helmet in my driveway. But if it saves one life, isn't it worth it? Like, we have to change how we talk about conversation. And people who say, well, those people didn't die from the lockdown. They died from suicide. I struggle to believe that they've ever struggled with depression, that they've ever wrestled with depression. Depression is real. If anybody out there that says it isn't real, send me an email because I'd love to have an interview with you on what you think is going on. It's real. It's hard. People are going through hard times. And here's the thing. I'm not trying to diminish how hard it is for the people who have lost loved ones to this disease. That's terrible. Awful. I have a 48-year-old friend that got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and brain cancer in the same week, and he can't get treatment because of the lockdown. Now, I've had somebody actually tell me, well, that's not true. And my question to them is, well, why would my friend lie? Because we've gone to extremes. That's the problem with these types of arguments. They argue from extremes. They argue from from the far end. The question, are you a Trump supporter, made me laugh because... uh, I had people back when, when uh, President Obama was in office, they would ask me, are, are you an Obama supporter? And I'll tell you what I tell them. I, I tell everybody this. I'm a constitutional supporter. I believe in the Constitution. I believe in that document. I think presidents have way too much power. I think Congress has way too much power. I think the Senate has way too much power. I think Governor Whitmer has too much power. There's just too much power. I'm a fan of smaller government. If you don't like that, that's okay. If you think they need more power, to me, that's okay. I enjoy the conversations most of the time. Uh, I put up a quote on on my Facebook, a a picture uh, this week or last week, where Ronald Reagan said, if somebody agrees with you 80% of the time, they're a friend and ally. They're not a 20% traitor. And by the way, if you want to hear, if you want to learn more about my conversation with my client about... uh, uh, me being a Trump supporter, that will be on my my webpage on Thursday, the 30th of April, it will be out. Uh, usually those articles hit about 6 a.m., but you can subscribe there. I put out an article, one or two a week. Uh, and if you want to learn more about that conversation, and honestly, why it saddened me, and not, not the client, I actually really respect the client. I, I think he's doing a lot of great work uh, in the in the field that he's in. And, and, and just really a kind person. 
But it does make me sad that we would literally stop and think, okay, well, I agree with this person on all these things, and I've gotten help from this person with all these things, but I'm not sure that I can go see them because they support President Obama or they support President Trump. We have to learn to live in the tension of we agree on these things, we disagree on these things. I don't know anybody in my life that really matters to me that I agree with them on everything. Not my dad, not my wife, not my kids, not my friends. We just don't agree on everything. And it's okay. But this idea that we can just kill conversation, and that's fine. What I do is I always say, okay, that's fine. Where does it go next? When this, when, when this lockdown first came out, I asked a constitutional question. And, and if I'm boring you with what you think are politics, I apologize. But this isn't about politics. This is about communication. And so I said to my friends, anybody that would listen and wanted to engage in the conversation, I asked them, what's the threshold? There doesn't seem to be any oversight here for when a governor can call a lockdown and when she can't or he can't. How many lives have to be at risk? And, you know, at the time, President Trump was on TV saying that Dr. Fauci was telling him it's going to be, you know, 100,000, 200,000, 300,000 deaths. And the last time I looked, it was a little over 64,000, I think, right? And the numbers didn't work. So, but what's the threshold? Is 64,000, is that the threshold? Is it 10,000? Is it five? Is it just that one? If, if, if Governor Whitmer or Governor Next, whoever that is, whether it's in four years or two years or whatever it is, if Governor Next believes that the best thing we can do to treat the flu because 10,000 people are going to die or just one person is that enough to shut down everything to just put us on lockdown? And I, I, I sincerely want an answer because here's the thing. It's just like parenting. When you say something, you position yourself for what you're going to have to say next. You position yourself for what you're going to have to do next. And so I have that question and I have friends. I have friends who have very graciously engaged me in that conversation. And then I have friends who are like, well, what if my dad dies? Well, that would be tragic and terrible and awful. And so are you saying if your dad's at risk, that's the threshold for the governor to be able to shut everything down or the president or whoever? We have to decide how we want to be governed. And this is a big and we have to decide how we want to talk about that. How do we want to engage in things we disagree about? Because not talking about it isn't working. This shut the conversation down at all costs isn't working. We're actually making things worse. And, and we don't seem to want to recognize that. We don't seem to want to admit that. We don't seem to want to say, oh my goodness, what we're doing isn't helpful. And if you can't admit that what you're doing isn't working, if you can't admit that there's a problem, you can't change it. Because why would you change something that isn't a problem? And, and we have all of these, and look, I'm guilty of it too, but we have all of these built into our conversations, these conversation killers. I was talking to a wife one time whose husband is very much into politics, and his response to her was, well, you just don't understand politics when she would disagree with them. Not only is that not kind, it's just insane. Simply because someone doesn't agree with you doesn't mean that they don't understand what's going on or what they're talking about. On my episode, Just Mercy, I think it was the 22nd of April, it dropped episode 98, feel free to look it up, or 99, episode 99. I, I talked about how, you know, 
there's an injustice built into our system currently that we need to root out or that maybe not build in, but it's certainly allowed to run freely. And, and a lot of times when I have that conversation, I have a lot of friends that are police officers. I support the thin blue line. And at the same time, I think there are bad police officers that need to get rooted out because my friends who are police officers are good men and women and they do good work and they don't need a reputation from that person who's messing it up. But invariably, when I have that conversation on either side of it, people just don't, they, they tend to just shut me down. Oh, well, you hate cops then? No, I don't hate cops. I love cops. There's sometimes when I wish I had done that instead of being a counselor. A lot of uncles were police officers. Or, oh, well, you just want people to, innocent people to die. No, I don't. I'm on record. I'm against the death penalty. I think we should investigate uh, the investigators. We, we should police the police. All of that needs to happen. We need to have checks and balances, which brings me to our government. We need to have checks and balances in our government, and we need to have conversations with people that disagree with us. And good conversation starts with better listening. Rather than trying to pigeonhole somebody into, oh, well, you just don't care if people die, or if we save just one life, isn't it worth it? Try to understand their perspective. I was talking to somebody yesterday about what it's like to be a small business owner, period. Not just in this time, but period. And there's a lot of things you don't know about small business owners, even if you work for one. For instance, my wife hasn't been paid in six months, and she's the leading hours getter in our office. Not six months, about four months. <clears throat> now, however, six weeks, sorry. I'm trying to get this down, I'm talking fast. I got a coffee in me with no food. You know how that goes. Uh, but, but she hasn't been paid. She has not taken a paycheck because we want to make sure our employees get paid. Her especially, right? And so she's seeing the most clients a week and none of that money's going into her checking account. But people don't want to have those conversations about how hard it is to run a business. Or if they do, they're afraid that they're going to learn something or that the other person is going to say something that causes them to struggle. I, I was reading... Uh, an argument between two people, the transcript of a debate between two people over co-sleeping. I'm a huge co-sleeping advocate. Uh, bed sharing is, is the correct term now. I'm a huge fan of that. I hate cribs. Um, and, and one of the things that the, the pro co-sleeper said was, uh, how does she put it? I understand that, that co-sleeping won't work for everyone, but we're the only society in the modern world that eschews the family bed. And... The other person accused her of being a racist. Now, here's the rub. The pro-co-sleeper was a minority person. Well, let's talk about the Me Too movement. When, I, when that came out, I put up a, a video about my own experience of assault and abuse. And I had, a, I mean, I had nasty letters written to me. Now, I get it. Those people were caught up. We weren't going to have a conversation. But they were caught up in their pain and their hurt. Right now, I don't hear a whole lot of people that were ready to run that justice out of town. What was his name? Kavanaugh, right? All, all the, the, the Facebook filters, all the Instagram posts. I stand with victims. What about Tara Wright? Who stands with her? If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google her name and Google Joe Biden. Part of the reason I bring this up is because one of the things that I believe has happened is we have bought in hook, line, and sinker to identity politics. If you agree with me on everything in life, except what I think about politics, we can't be friends, is essentially how America currently works. And anything that I can find, 
be it in social media, anywhere that supports my view, I don't have to check and see if they have resources. So for instance, today I saw somebody who put up a, a meme about how, you know, Walmart has X amount of employees and no COVID-19 cases, Costco, Kroger, blah, blah, blah. If they can do it, I, I, the whole point was shut the, end the lockdown. The problem is the, the presupposition is wrong. I know for certain that Walmart has had employees who have gotten COVID-19 because some of them are suing Walmart. I know for certain that Kroger and Costco have gotten, uh, have, have gotten COVID-19. Now, I guess when I say I know for certain, I could testify to it in court, but I could testify to it in court that I've seen it in enough major news sources that it seems to be real. Uh, I actually read the, the lawsuit for the Walmart employee because it, you can get it online. And a friend of mine who works in the justice system sent me the link. Uh, so I, I know that that's not true, but the thing of it is that person didn't have to go bother, you know, fact checking because it supported her view. Be a good listener. And part of being a good listener is you want to verify facts. You want to verify what the other person is saying factually. You want to verify that you understand factually what the other person is saying. You want to engage the gist, the words, the emotion, all of it in what the other person is saying before you respond, before you respond. You want to make sure you understand the facts of what they believe is going on and their feelings about it, because there's going to be some people, there are some people that I don't engage in conversations with about the government. For instance, my clients, I don't tell them who I vote for. I don't get into that a whole lot because it would be inappropriate. But I do tell them that I support the Constitution because there's a balance there, right? I'm their therapist and I'm a human and they want the human-to-human -human connection. But if you really want to join me, and I hope that you do, in changing how we discuss things in America, let's all make a commitment to, first of all, engaging in listening before we talk. Engage in hearing the other person. Hear their facts. Hear their feelings. Engage in what's going on in their life. Engage their lens. So a woman whose husband cheated on her and divorced her and left her with three kids and just moved to the UP, uh, for you non-Michiganders, that's the Upper Peninsula, and nobody can find him, and he's not helping with child support or any of that stuff, who relies heavily on her senior-aged uh, father, that's going to color how she talks about COVID-19 in the lockdown. The small business restaurant owner who might be facing bankruptcy because the government, the big government has not come through and helped in the way that they said they would, that's going to color how they uh, interact with COVID-19. Instead of just neglecting conversation, instead of just saying, I only talk to people that I agree with, what if we said... I'm on a mission to understand how the people that I disagree with, how they came to that conclusion, how they, what they're feeling when they try to embrace that, that issue. What would happen? What if we could actually create a space where a Trump supporter could sit down with a Joe Biden supporter or a Hillary supporter or an Obama supporter, and they could have a conversation where nobody was called evil, nobody was called stupid. They just engaged in trying to understand each other. How awesome would that be? 
What if we got away from extreme arguments like, well, if it just saves one life, isn't it worth it? And we, and we said maybe something along these lines. I believe lockdown is saving lives and it could be costing us lives. And that is a difficult uh, struggle to weigh out. Uh, how about instead of just labeling, labeling people who don't like Governor Whitmer as sexist pigs, we try to find out what they don't like or why they don't like it. I was not a fan of President Obama's policies. I'll just tell you that now. Um, and I would get a lot of flack because people say, well, do you like Obama? And I'd always say, well, I don't know him. I, I think I, I personally believe, because I just choose to live this way, in the absence of evidence against it, I choose to believe that the policies that he tried to start were out of, out of a good place. Like the Obamacare, trying to get that going was out of a good place. Uh, that was, I, I think it was a train wreck, to be honest with you, both as a provider and as a person who needs insurance, I found Obamacare to be a train wreck. Now, you don't have to agree with me, but there are people who get really mad at me because I refuse to say that I think he's evil or I dislike him. George Bush, uh, the younger, I think a lot of his policies were a train wreck. I wasn't a fan of his presidency. And, you know, when I would talk about before Obamacare got passed, I was actually discussing with... Uh, Oh, the lead drummer for uh, Jimmy Eat World. We have mutual friends, and we were discussing Obamacare, and I, I said, well, who's going to pay for it? How, how are we going to pay for it? Isn't it going to cause premiums to go sky high for most people? And instead of answering that question, he's like, well, why didn't you ask those questions when Bush was in office, raining down bombs on people and starting his war? Now, here's the problem that he doesn't know me. He doesn't know whether I supported Bush or not. He made an assumption. And so I actually said to him, well, I didn't really like Bush all that much either. And then he said something else insulting. And I stopped listening to Jimmy Eat World, to be honest with you. Not that I ever listened to it too much. Uh, because he wasn't interested in having a conversation. He was just interested in bulldozing me, which is fine. I've been there. I've been caught up in that emotion. But if we really want to have substantive conversations, if we really want to have conversations that... Uh, embrace conflict and embrace our humanity and actually benefit everyone who listens, we have to commit to the idea that I want to be a better listener than I am a talker. I want to hear the other person first. And here's how we do that. The first thing we do is we ask clarifying questions. I've gone over that. But then the second thing we do is we don't assume. Don't assume that you know everything there is to know about the person. We need to, I, I talked about it last week, uh, the, the eyeball test. Can you pass the eyeball test? Maybe two weeks ago. I don't know. But can you see this incident from their point of view? And, and if you can, hopefully it gentles your answers a little bit. Hopefully it gentles the way you uh, interact with people. Hopefully it, it, it causes you to be more mindful of gentleness when you're disagreeing with somebody on, such, on really big issues. Like these are big issues and they are, they, they affect our lives. But do we really want to be a society where you only have two choices? You either agree with me or you're evil? That, that is not a society that I want to live in. I, want to, I love parenting. I, I don't know if I've told you that before. I love parenting. And my oldest daughter is smart as a whip. Uh, she has an incredible uh, wit about her. And we don't agree on everything, but I love the conversations we have where we we engage in disagreements. Uh, she's taking a college course right now as a high school junior, 
and and it's a, a, a class that talks a lot about ancient history and and hey dad did you know about this yep well, wait what did you what's your thoughts about it and we go back and forth because here's the thing she's my daughter there's really nothing she could do that's going to cause me to love her less or to love her more and, and so it's fun it's exciting and maybe I wonder if we treated people a little bit more like family like hey that's instead of this person disagrees with me on XYZ issue it's this person disagrees with me on XYZ issue, but they're like my family, and so we want to engage it. The problem is even families have come to the place where they are divided over political issues, and they either don't talk about them or they ruin family get-togethers. Because if we really want to be a good listener, we have to build our identity on something other than our ideology. We have to seek clarification we have to not assume, and we have to base our identity on something other than our ideology because if our identity is based on our ideology, we can never engage conversation about it because engaging conversation about our ideology and where we might be wrong will actually cause us to question our own identity, and most of us don't have the resilience build up because we've not done the things necessary to get resilience to have our identity questioned. Which brings me to the fourth thing I'd like to say. As a society, we need to start engaging in activities that build resilience. I am really afraid that we exchanged the ability to have face-to-face conversations for the gym, for youth sports, for choir, for theater, for just flat out doing nothing but playing stupid video games. And I'm not against video games, but you're hard-pressed to prove to me that they have much redeeming value. We have to engage hard things if we want resilience. Without resilience, we can't engage the hard things. And when we don't engage the hard things, our resilience goes down. It's kind of a catch-22. All right, so I've shared some phrases today that I hate. I hope that this episode causes you to think. I hope that this episode offers you the opportunity to think more deeply about how you communicate with people you disagree with, how you interact with people you disagree with, and what might bring you to being the miracle grow for conversations rather than the weed killer for conversations. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. That is the best form of advertising that I could ever get, and I appreciate it so much. I want you to know I appreciate you, the listeners. I appreciate the emails. I appreciate you reaching out. Uh, Share this with people. I I hope this content is valuable. If you want to subscribe to my webpage, go to joemartino.com. And there's a button that says subscribe, put in your email address, then you have to confirm it. Like I said, you'll get one or two a week, not more than that. Typically, last week, everybody got three because I accidentally put the podcast episode up on the wrong website. Um, So I apologize for that. And if you want to hear more about whether or not I support Donald Trump and how that affects counseling, go to my webpage tomorrow, joemartino.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. And hey, give us that rating in your podcast store. Until next time, change possible.